What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 170. This week, we are going on from uh, Beat Street with the Oracle herself. That's right. We are going through to her small, much smaller role than The Matrix, um, the 1990 Penny Marshall-directed awakenings as our chain movie of the week we have also got finally i we teased about it in the description last week about kate blanchett being in tar as well as the new noah bombach movie on netflix titled white noise i am your host george Taron, alongside the man the myth the talent mr travis croft how are you today i am fine and dandy uh, it's good to be back for the second week this year. I uh, apologize if there's any extra noise for podcasts or stream listeners because I have a fan running because it's a bit warm and I imagine it's a bit warm up your way as well because you're upstairs. Yeah, I'm, I'm upstairs. I'm still working on the laptop at the moment. So apologies for anyone who is watching live and not seeing my delightfully pretty face in true HD. Um, I will be getting myself a camera and microphone system set up again very very soon i've been in the middle of doing house renovations so priorities are as they are but the content is still the same the voices in your ears as in your heads very much inside your heads we are the voice in your shoulders warning you which movies to watch and not watch as just curmudgeonly older gentlemen as we are can do now should we get straight into it and talk about my pick for chain movie of the week awakenings let's do that um so you our link here was mary alice if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. in uh the seminal hip-hop uh classic uh beat street uh famously played the oracle after the death of the original actress in the sequels of uh, mm -hmm. the original matrix sequels don't think she was in the new one was she no i don't think that was I can't even remember the character of the Oracle being in there. I think they talked about the Oracle, but I don't think it was actually like an active on-screen presence kind of thing. So, so uh, Awakenings, as you said, from 1990, uh, directed by Penny Marshall, written by Oliver Sacks, who wrote the book, Stephen Sally in the screenplay, starring uh, the great Robert De Niro and the mm -hmm. late great Robin Williams. And a very mm -hmm. rare live action term from Julie Kavner famously yes. plays Mark Simpson or voices Mark Simpson. Mm -hmm. um, and a few <laughs> other character names you might recognize in here as well, mm -hmm. including John Hurd, uh, yes. famously playing. The notoriously uh, terrible father who left Kevin McAllister behind. In Home Alone. Um, the victims of an encephalitis epidemic many mm -hmm. years ago have been catatonic ever since, but now a new drug offers the prospect of reviving them. This has mm. a very good rating on IMDb, a 7.8 on here, mm. 74 meta score. It was nominated for three Oscars, including mm. Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Writing. It won none of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, who, I think who got the Best Actor nod? Was it Robin Williams? Uh, De Niro. De Niro, okay. De Niro, Best Actor. I think you'll find uh, probably he was up that year against... 91 was probably Anthony Hopkins uh, for the Science of the Lands. Science of uh, the Lands, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, uh, if uh, memory serves, it was a mm -hmm. lazy 32 years ago. Tell a lie. It was not. It was Jeremy Irons for Reversal of Fortune. 
He beat Kevin Costner uh, for Dances with Bulls, Robert De Niro Awakenings, Richard Farris for The Field, and Gerard Depardieu for Serrano de Bergerac. So we were off topic already. Um, needless to say, the, the results for the 1991 Oscar ceremony were more interesting than this film. Um, I didn't 100%. like it very much at all. I always yeah. avoided this film on television because it looked boring. Um, yeah. There was a particular brand of sort of medical drama that sort of was around at the time. I feel like yeah. this and regarding Henry, which may actually not be a medical drama, but it's in my head it is. Um, it's got that kind of emotional, based on the real story kind of sensibility to it that kind of feels a little bit like a Hallmark movie. A little bit. It was like... um. I referred to it, um, where you go, after being shot, a lawyer loses his memory and must relearn speech and mobility that has a loving family to support him. Written by J.J. Abrams, four people. That's regarding Henry. It was a medical mm -hmm. drama. Um, I called it uh, inspiration porn to, to Michelle yeah. as we were watching it the other day, but she's like, well, wasn't it a very inspiring ending? So we'll go through the plot a little bit here so mm. you know what is going on. We gave you that um, synopsis there, the victims of the outbreak are catatonic, mm. but now a new drug officer prospect are reviving him. Robin Williams is hired to work in what we feel is a fairly underfunded, underappreciated hospital for, I don't know, they're mentally disabled. Um, yeah. Once upon a time, it might have been called an asylum. You know, mm -hmm. it's people who suffer from schizophrenia along with fruit to people who are catatonic and people who mm. have severe mental illness issues. Yeah. Uh, however, he's not a well-known for being a practicing doctor, if you will, a person-to-person -person mm. doctor. Um, he is best known, the most of his work at that point is as a research uh, mm. neurologist. But they seem to be really short of people wanting the job. He wants the job. So, almost despite him trying to talk them out of hiring him, he gets hired. Um, yeah. And now, that, that scene itself and, and the, the, the opening, because we have a kind of a cold opening for this movie where we see these young kids in the 1920s or 30s, I guess. Um, playing in the snow and one of them like scores his name into something and it's Leonard. And as the story progresses, we find that that is the young child version of uh, Robert De Niro's character. And that is our cold, cold opening for this. Um, it then opens up with uh, Robin Williams going in for essentially a very, um, we need someone so who anyone will do interview and they're li literally stretching to the point of trying to find points where robin williams who seems to be somewhat well versed in in his field to be you know or at least suitable on paper are qualified enough to count um they go back to literally his medical school periods and just say oh you took someone's temperature right that's enough for him to get this job. So this is this this position that he's going for is very much a caretaker role, essentially. Uh, you, you are correct. And it's, it seems like his lack of his lack of experience really isn't a determining mm. factor. He sees a warm mm. body basically mm. with a white coat. Uh, <laughs> he, he really starts to take an interest in uh, these uh, catatonic patients. I think the first one he really starts to take an interest in is a new patient named Lucy, who mm. he tries to figure out what's going on with her and what the he starts to really explore, I guess, the boundaries of their their mm. catatonia, if that's actually the right word. Um, 
and he realizes that they aren't just statues they they can he throws a ball at them they will catch them mm. uh and he starts to try and explain this to his uh colleagues but they are unimpressed mm. uh by his and basically don't they're almost the um the, the Greek chorus, you know, as they don't pay attention, you know, like who cares yeah. about these people? Just come in, do your job, go home. But Julie Cabner's yeah. Eleanor Costello, who is this, I guess, a nurse's assisting, and she believes in him. Um, yeah. And this leads him to see seeking out a drug after seeing a, a presentation that it would help Parkinson's patients, I think it was. Mm. And lo and behold, when you actually, he actually gets permission to apply it to one patient, that patient being Robert De Niro, he's one of the people who is catatonic. It works. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work forever. No is the answer. It does not no. work forever. It does. It is not a miracle drug. For for a little while, it almost feels like when I he manages to wake up everybody using this drug. Um, yeah. It almost feels like that. Um, you know the Twilight Zone movie, uh, the mm. Steven Spielberg segment. Kip, everyone plays kick the can. All the old people play kick the can yeah. down the road it almost feels like that it's like they're, they're out and about and they're partying and they're having a good time for the first time in forever and you know it this is supposed to be the feel-good moment of a film um yeah before and the downslide of, of robert de niro being the first patient to get the drug he's the first one to then start to hmm. slide back into catatonia and that's where they end up for the at the end of the film yeah and you know what at the end of the film i really just didn't care uh, yeah, there, there was an, in spite of the message and design of this movie being the, the true awakening of, uh, you know, treating them as human beings and trying to engage them and communicate with them in a way that they understand, which is inherently a very good message to have, regardless of whether you're a doctor or whatever, communication and understanding they take you a long way in this life. There was a strange, constant um, feeling of emotional dissonance. And there was nothing, there were a lot of things that they were trying to elicit emotional response from me as the audience that just didn't work or came off as entirely cliched or cringeworthy and the um injection of the romantic element between uh malcolm sayer and eleanor costello it was like well gee that's a surprise don't know don't care nothing's going to happen with that until the very end when he learns the true lesson um and you know you don't need my superpower to tell how this movie's going to end um the fact that one of the last things that we see is Dr. Sayer re-watching this uh, video of Leonard and just saying, oh, he was, there was something special about it. Like, yes, he was your friend. It's like, oh, yes, he finally made a friend. I don't care. You you haven't <laughs> engaged me cerebrally in that whatsoever. And I don't like the fact that that is my takeaway because the message itself of treating people as a good thing, uh, as a good, as, as how you would want to be treated is inherently a very good, very close to my heart sentimentality. But this movie just destroyed the pathos and empathy that it wanted to and should have built. And it became 
we we say it a lot about a lot of movies where they're Oscar baity. It this felt like that. it, didn't it? Yeah, really felt like it, was going for, it felt manipulative for me. Yeah, um, it was so trying to try to elicit a particular reaction for me, but mm. I I wasn't because I didn't care, <laughs> it, uh, and I kind of saw what it was doing. I'm like, eh, no, mm. Uh, mm. I'm not going to let you do that to me. Um, I. And, you know, this is not to say it's a badly made film. The direction mm. is high competence from um, uh, yeah, uh, someone you would expect to do reasonably good work. Mm -hmm. um, you would, uh, the acting is uh, pretty decent, actually. I don't know. It's an Academy Award performance from, from, yeah. from De Niro. It was probably at the time an interesting thing to see from De Niro, considering he was best known for playing you know, uh, gangsters probably at this point in time and yeah. badasses and stuff like that. But yeah. um, Robin Williams, this is just a, not a, yeah, not a bad performance from Williams, but this is the kind of performance we kind of expect from him, I guess, a little bit. Like the inspiring, you know, selfless, you know, a dedicated professional. This is the performance we saw in Dead Poets. Um you know, it's or through to something like Patch Adams, which is significantly worse than this film, even. Um, but it's it's kind of what you expect from him when he does his serious roles. Well, that's it. I mean, this came in 1990, um, a year after Dead Poet Society, and um, like then he didn't really touch too much on the serious thing until. Um, where is it? Let's have a look here. Uh, there's the birdcage. There was Jack, which strangely had a similar kind of feel. Uh, Hamlet in 96. He only had a very small oh, role. Goodwill Hunting in 97. Um, yeah. This very much kind of feels like a prototype run or a rehearsal run for what got distilled into the phenomenal performance of Goodwill Hunting. I mean, that's not to say I dislike the. I mean, I, I just expected yeah. at some point to tell the the patients to stand on their tables and say, "Oh, captain, my captain." Um, yeah. It just, I don't know. It, it, was, it was interesting, I guess, maybe at the time to see someone so famous for transforming themselves so effectively in the role comedy roles that they're pulling it out of a bag mm. so brilliantly in these uh, dramatic roles. But I don't know. It just felt like nothing I hadn't seen from Williams before. And this is with 30 years of, of obviously, uh, you know, hindsight, and we know yep. what came after this. Um, yep. But even by 1990 standards, it was, eh, didn't we see this a couple of years ago in that movie about poetry? You know, yeah. um, and the I also they inserted a very quiet, almost Rocky-esque, uh, you know, uh, romance angle between him and Julie Cadman's character, Eleanor, um yeah. they hinted early in the film and then they come back to it at the end of the film but you're like oh guys no mm. yeah that was we weren't convinced earlier and i was kind of glad you skipped it to come back to it as like somehow what was this his reward for doing good works as he gets to be with eleanor at the end yeah it, it um it, it was it was demeaning um and I think Julie Kavner has made the right choice in sticking to voice acting. 
I don't think I don't think she was necessarily bad. I don't think any of the performances were necessarily bad, but there was just no no heart and soul in it. Like the the fact that the fact that the uh, Doctor Sayer is socially uncomfortable as our leading man, as our entry into this character, as the character that we, the audience, are going to follow. That's not an easy start. There's not a good place to put the audience in because you just feel awkward and you feel uncomfortable, which, yes, that's what he felt. But at the same time, we want to have um, engagement with him. And having Robin Williams there, one of the most likable, magnetic personalities to ever be put on cinema, that casting-wise makes a lot of sense. But then when you don't give him the scenes or the the level that is needed to really engage with him, it feels disingenuous and boring. And then when you layer in all these other things, it's like, yeah, it's a miracle. They're all up and running and working and it's great. It's like, cool. Again, you still didn't really feel that elation and excitement because you fucking knew that that was going to goddamn well happen. And then the despondency and the sadness by the end, again, you knew that it was coming. They telegraphed every single one of these emotional punches so much that when it lands, you don't fucking care. I guess That's its biggest problem. Well, now I'm thinking about it. Did the film really earn that heart punch of a moment where, my God, he's up and around and walking? Like, it did. What did they actually do that was so magnificent? He went to a conference, mm. heard about a drug, thought, hmm, that might be applicable to other patients other than the, mm. the ones it's been strictly designed for, got approval, gave it to one of his patients, and it worked. Yeah. Um, like, maybe we should be making the film about the drug company who fucking came up with the thing. Like, yeah. follow you know, Peter Stormare's character. <laughs> you know, the guy in the, in the urinal who told him, you know, piss off i'm just a chemist you know um yeah. like i you know i just think you know the guy in the urinal probably wouldn't have been a particularly approved you know um sellable title but um maybe <laughs> maybe that's why i felt failed to feel a connection here in the sense that there wasn't other than taking an interest in his patients mm. which is being sold as some amazing you know it is a step up from what they had in this hospital Mm-hmm. Isn't that just the fucking bare minimum? Yeah. Like, I, well, I you'd, know, you'd certainly hope that it is. I mean, obviously, in the real world, that's not necessarily true. We've all... Everyone knows about had, the NHS. <laughs> well, they're not going well right now, and I'd love to say Medicare in Australia is doing better. And it is, but just... Comparatively, um, but still, but, it's like saying, oh, look at this. This room is only partially on fire. <laughs> um this is just some cinch damage yeah um <laughs> but i'm sure we've all seen doctors who didn't give a shit, right yeah uh, we've all probably had an encounter with a crappy health professional where you're like yeah that person uh seriously they they've got their job is to help people mm. uh you know um i recall uh an old friend of a show trudy once upon a time had to go get um intravenous uh, IV of uh, uh, antibiotics because she had a terrible infection. And um, 
they basically chunked it on so fast. I don't know how they do. I'm not a medical professional. You might have picked that by now. Um, it basically made her throw up. It made her ill. Okay. And the doctor nurse just basically watched an actual friend of the show, Patria, grab one of those sick bags and give it to her. Then just walked away. Then never came back. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Um, That's your tax dollars at work, ladies well, and gentlemen. You know, one of these horrible professionals but should we be not shouldn't our standards be a little higher to go this guy he's doing the bare minimum which is the doctor is to pay attention to what's going on with his patients and see if he can help them wow what a hero you know next yeah. week policeman who catches criminals in his spare time you know like i mean what the fuck? <laughs> it is the perfect line from Batman versus Superman, where Lawrence Fishburne's Perry, Perry White just says, oh, crime increases in Gotham. Also, water is wet. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what's more disturbing, awakening to the fact that you remember a line from that film. Um, hey, that movie has got some good things. It's got a lot of problems, but it's still got some good things. Actually, I think I remember a line as well. Shit. Ha! Um, there's that great line where he goes, if he's our enemy, it's 1% chance he's our enemy. We have to treat that as 100% certainty. I remember that line. That was good. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Zack Snyder can occasionally write a line. Sorry? Zack Snyder can occasionally write a line. Right. I don't think he wrote it, though. Um, <laughs> that's probably for the best. Um, so maybe that's what connect from why I failed to connect the characters. It's just a, mm. a character who's essentially doing his job at a moderately yeah. competent level. And basically organized a drug trial inside his hospital. And he, in yeah. fairness, he did push hard for that to happen. Uh, so, you know, a bit above and beyond there, in a sense, trying to get uh, the... Um, once it actually worked, though, he was able to get further funding. It's just, uh, you know, I, I just yeah. didn't feel what was so extraordinary about this film. And the fact that they did the drug trial, it didn't fucking work in the end. Yeah, yeah I mean, it woke him up for a while. There was a cartoon when I was a kid um and i was trying to remember the name of it. it was like ulysses 31 or something like that it was one of those japanese cartoons oh, where the entire yeah. crew was frozen or something and only one or two of them were able to stay away. ulysses 31 is what a, um indp yeah. tells me it's called um anyway it made me of that because in that, in that cartoon the entire crew is like frozen and it's up to the captain to try and get them home for reasons it's been a very long yeah. time since I saw it. But there was like one or two episodes where for some magical reason, the crew would be alive again and able to do things. And it was actually, if you felt like a, um, you know, a, a, oh, wow, we're back, yay, uh, moment in the show. But then by the yeah. end of the episode, they were back into being frozen again anyway. Um, and kind of what this, and that's a super deep cut. You're gonna have to really look hard for anybody who remembers that TV show. But that's what it reminded me. It was like, I gave her a wake for a while and they're asleep again. Like, yeah, there's nothing no... happened of note in this film. No, nothing, nothing. And um, I, I feel like, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they say based on true story. And then at the end, they have that quintessential thing of how, you know, everyone went back to sleep and they were occasionally able to wake up and have more awakenings. And uh, Dr. Sayer is still practicing in the Bronx. Okay. So it, 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 
the the way that they try and try and hang this that's where that sense of oh we're doing this because this is a paint by numbers success at the box office we've got robin williams we've got robert de niro it's got a romance angle it's got hope of humankind it's got doctors being good doctors it's got it ticks a lot of boxes but it's sterile I think it's a good way of putting it. I think you nailed it with your first statement. This is like a like a, a Hallmark movie. Yeah. Yeah. And and that in a good way. I should no. just note in case anyone is so inspired by our reviews ever they want to try to go out and watch it. Um, you might try and avoid some of the issues that I had whilst trying to find a copy. Just note this is awakenings from not not from nineteen ninety. It is not sexual awakenings. From 2002. How woman, did I know you were going to do that? Woman, How a model nude for a men's magazine. The only problem is her husband is against the whole idea. I found myself very confused halfway through this. Where's Robert De Niro? And why does Robin Williams have a problem with his wife posing nude? Uh, and, you know, he's, why is he calling himself Chris Evans? Um, <sighs> it is also not Carnal Awakenings from 2013. A young couple becomes involved with a sexy new stranger in a steamy adult thriller. Uh, again, we could you know, say that we have exhausted our conversation on Awakenings for this <laughs> week with that terrible I one of those has a more interesting plot line than this film. That is beyond the case. But you have the keys to the kingdom, sir. Where are you leading us? Who is our yeah. chain? Hopefully, Where are we going? I'll be I... going to follow... I, I, I hope that you're going to follow uh, Penelope Ann Miller to the classic Kindergarten Cop. No, unfortunately, I didn't notice that one. I, I could have followed Alice Drummond, who, of course, plays the scared librarian at the start of Ghostbusters. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> but no. Uh, we mentioned him earlier. We're going to follow John Hurd. Uh, he John is the Cast of Maine. And mm -hmm. hopefully we're going to a more interesting, um, uh, a more interesting uh, 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 film than um, uh, Awakenings because I've never actually heard of actually seen this film, and before doing my research about where to go next, I'd never heard of this film. This okay. is the 1985 film After Hours, directed by a bloke you might have heard of called Martin Scorsese. Um, I have not heard of this movie. An ordinary word processor has the worst night of his life after he agrees to visit a girl in Soho he met that evening in a coffee shop. After hours, it can be rented from your Apples, your YouTubes, your Microsofts, and that kind of thing, if that's kind of jam. Okay. Uh, stars Griffin Dunn, uh, who might be a face a few of you are familiar. I think last year I talked about I Love Dick, which he was in. Uh, he's in a whole bunch of other things as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we also have uh, one of the Arquettes, Cheech and or Chong, uh, Linda Fiorentino, uh, John Hurt, of course. Uh, Catherine O'Hara pops up in here, as does the great Bronson Pinchot. Okay. This, for those playing along at home, is available to rent on Apple TV, Amazon, and Facebook. So hopefully this one holds up. We haven't seen a Scorsese film for a while. I think we've used him in as a previous link when we did the, uh, the um, uh, Robert De Niro film, The Greatest Showman or whatever it was. Um, great comedian. Oh, um, 
<laughs> but you never Jesus. won. Joker was based on it. Um, yeah. Uh, Chain uh, movies. Here we go. Um, it was one of uh, King of Comedy. King of Comedy. I think that was Scorsese with our link in and out of that one. Yeah. I could be wrong. Uh, um, no, it was Robert De Niro because we De went Niro. from Angel Heart to King of Comedy. And I don't know where we went after that. Did we? So Hudson so, Hawk. Hudson Hawk. Which we are, yeah, yes. that's a terrible film. <laughs> I have also, ladies and gentlemen, this is a good little tag for anyone who's using Letterboxd. You can follow the Fried Brain on Letterboxd, and what I have made a list. It's an ongoing list of our chain movies. It's got every single one, and I'm going through slowly but surely and putting who the link is from one to the other. And we are officially. After Awakenings on a hundred, but wow. but the first three are not legitimate links in the way that everything was. The first we did movie try to was change it up a little bit, didn't we? we did yeah, kind of we had Streets of Fire, then we had the Philadelphia Experiment, followed by Final Countdown, and then we went from Tom Cruise in Top Gun to Legend, Angel Heart, and then the aforementioned King of Wow, Kong. that was a long time ago. Jesus, it uh, was. Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, some of the movies that we have gone to. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Like we we did Under Siege. We've done Layer Cake. Don't remember that. I don't um, remember Layer Cake. <laughs> if someone no. said to me, "Have you seen Layer Cake?" I'd be like, "No." We've done Code Forty Six, The Discovery, Go, Titan AE. Of course, one of the best movies on the list is uh, Spice World. You fucker. Wake and Fright, Clue, The Porn Broker more recently. We've had one hell of a interesting collection there. It's I will say, one of the things that is more generally not being used as um, a genre for a chain movie at the moment, comedy. We're generally going for more serious or scary or brutal visceral kind of movies i have to say it's probably i might be guilty about this i'm very very fussy about comedy i find 95 percent of film comedies not funny at all um yeah uh, hopefully we're going to talk about this in a future week but yes. i saw the banshees of inishirin uh this week Ooh, and I want to see that. just in case anybody is thinking about this film and going like the first review on imdb said shoulder shudderingly funny I didn't laugh once. This is not a funny movie. And maybe there's a particular Irish sense of humor I didn't get, but it's not a comedy. Um, that's not to say it's a bad film. Uh, I, I we, we will, we, in keeping with our new policy, mm -hmm. we'll try and facilitate once George has had a chance to see it, we can come mm -hmm. back together and we can have a chat about it uh, for the show. But I'm just going to yes. give you that warning up front. They don't try to tell you it's a comedy. It's not. All righty, all righty. Well, uh, so I'm very fussy about comedies. Someone recently tried to make, help me watch um, You Don't Mess With a Zohan. I made it 13 minutes into the film. Yeah. Adam Sandler has not made a successful comedy movie in a long time for me. My taste, and I don't have it. But yeah. um, should we um, now move on to something we have both seen? Yes, uh, that we'll talk the about new film um, from Noah Baumbach. Yes, White Noise, ladies and gentlemen. Now, speaking of genres, 
what the hell genre do you put this movie in? Comedy, drama, horror, IMDb says. Um, That's fair. um, (laughs) And I don't know if there's a tag for fucking weird, um, but... um, (laughs) That would be my suggestion if 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 I yep. were in charge of things, but it probably doesn't have that. Um, this, uh, as we said, directed by uh, Noah Baumbach, who will mm. be directing Barbie. Is he directing or did he write Barbie? I can't remember. He wrote Barbie. Greta uh, Gerwig, who is, stars in White Noise, is directing. He's the director of Barbie, which I cannot wait to see that. Like, yeah, because just just watch this film. This is a fucking weird movie. And how do you give the people who made this the keys to Barbie? Now, if I may, I would like to read the synopsis as per IMDb. So, it dramatizes a contemporary American family's attempt to deal with the mundane conflicts of everyday life while grappling with the universal mysteries of love, death, and the possibility of happiness in an uncertain world. Yes. Uh, okay, so written and directed by Noah Baumbach, it's based, based on a book by a guy called Don DeLillo, who I yep. had never heard of, but through some research, I have found is a bit of an iconic author of, okay. uh, I think, postmodern American literature. My okay. my brilliant and beautiful uh, partner, Michelle, who is the owner of most of the interesting looking books behind me, the uh, the crappy ones, they're mine. Um, but she, being a writer herself, was familiar with DeLillo's work. And just said, never heard of him. Um, also, right. very, I'm surrounded by talented writers. I myself am not one. That said, of the three of us, who is paid to write on a regular basis? Um, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, not the inspiring kind, it should be noted. Um, mm. but, uh, so apparently this book was considered a, a masterpiece of postmodern literature, mm. considered unfilmable. I would agree with that synopsis. <laughs> uh, so the stars here, great cast, uh, Adam mm. Driver, Greta Gawig, uh, Don Cheadle, uh, mm. your three big stars here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Adam Driver plays Jack, Greta Gawig, Greta Gawig plays his, uh, wife, Babette. And Don Chittle plays his colleague Murray. Interesting story, Babette. Having, I think it's the first time I've seen a character in a film called Babette. Um, funny yeah. story. Um, my my ex wife's mother in law is named Lynette. When uh, my dad first met her, he thought I told him her, he didn't remember her name, but he remembered the et at the end. So and he couldn't hear her in the busy loud restaurant. So he thought her name was Babette. For, well, there you um, go. Most of the first day he met her. I did correct him later, but she became uh, lovingly known around the traps as Babs uh, forevermore. Um, so um, hearing a character called Babette in a film was very amusing to me, entirely personal <laughs> and very irrelevant to this show reasons. And nobody asked for that story, but... So um, Jack is the is a professor at a college. He is the professor of Hitler studies at university yeah. at, at a very sort of generic college, which is supposed to be a joke, I guess. It is Hitler studies, and hmm. his wife Babette. They have this big family, lots of kids, um, and they forced marriage. Also, they're constantly talking, constantly yammering at each other, but they don't seem to be listening to each other. The yeah. kids are talking, Babette's talking, Jack's talking. 
They were all saying different things, talking, having conversations about different things, but none of them are talking. Mm. It's very annoying. Um, it's, that's and- very Noah Bombach. When you look at all the stuff, because he's previously done a lot of work with it, Wes Anderson, where it's oddball, unusual uh, speech cadence with characters and things like that, and just odd sort of like whimsical flights of fancy that they'll just happily go off of and no one's paying any attention. But if you listen, if you choose to listen to here, um, God, what's the name of that director that used to kind of mic up everyone on oh, set. The, um, so, oh, God. Um, it was like... Um, Michael Apted? Possibly. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but... He was going to Gossel Park. Yeah. Um, and it's... There's, there's kind of that sort of sensibility to, to the way... Robert Altman. Seems. Yes, thank you. Robert Altman. It's a little bit like that, but... In a sort of like an artsy fartsy kind of way. Yes, yes. It feels like an art house movie. So Noah Baumbach's previous work includes being the writer of Marriage Story, The Squid and the Whale, Francis Ha, which is a good film, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Life Aquatic Stiff Zissou, and Margot the Wedding. So these are the kind of, and uh, Madagascar 3. <laughs> The kind of films your hipster friend really enjoys, despite the fact he probably can't explain why. He or she can't explain why. Um, you don't need to explain it. It's a it's an emotion. It's, it's an emotional thing. Um, just spot me. So you have this. They have this busy life. Um, <laughs> at, and we see him meeting his colleagues at the university, having <laughs> very similar kind of separate, disparate conversations at the college with colleagues like Don Cheadle. I guess mm. the main sort of thing, interest in the film starts when there's a train crash outside of town and there mm. is a airborne toxic event. There is a, a cloud of deadly chemicals floating over the town that they live in and they are forced to escape. It's a feathery cloud. It's a pluming cloud. It's oh, a man. toxic event. And they have to try and escape town to get away from it and they end up in a refugee camp and then they come mm. back. I don't know what this film's about. I don't get it. Like, it's set in the 80s and it looks really good. I think Mm. they're trying to say something about consumerism, especially when they visit the supermarket so often and the supermarket's kind of treated like a a really warm, homely, safe space for them to to be in. And I'm like, okay. And all the brands are very bright and... Mm. Like hey, the supermarket is where you go with the whole family to hang out as well as socialize with your friends as you shop for products you need. Very good. Was that from the film? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it sounds like something someone in the film would say. Um, okay. I'm copywriting that. <laughs> uh, you know, as, as scenes in um, The Hurt Locker when Jeremy Renner's character is back in the States and He's mm. overwhelmed by the choice in the, in the supermarket. Mm. It felt a little bit like that, but more stylized. Um, yeah. But I really get what the fuck they were getting at. The constant yammering conversations at each other were infuriating. Um, the, the refusal to land on a plot that was going to drive a story forward was infuriating because there's no fucking plot to this film. Stuff just happens. 
That is the plot, my friend. That is the plot. And I think it's message. I think I'm probably stretching here, but I think the message of the movie is life just happens and you need to pay attention because it moves too fast for you to settle on it. I think. <laughs> what was with a fucking toxic cloud? Like, I mean, something happened. It was a unifying moment for the for the rest of the for the family to come together, and they didn't because still no one was willing to listen to each other. Communication, ladies and gentlemen. It, That's about as close as anybody's got to, to giving me an idea of what this plot was about. Um, this film yeah. was about, and they could have been done a lot better. Like there were moments where you kind of thought it was going to take an interesting direction where they yep. got in a car and they were driving away from the airborne toxic event mm -hmm. and they stopped for gas in the middle of nowhere. And, um, it's kind of scary and spooky and there's lightning, yeah, the, weird lightning clouds and yeah. And you know, but then the, the comedy spin on that is like, Oh, there's something in the clouds that, that was excellent. We, we talked about it last week about trolling or trolling your audience. That was a great moment where it's like, oh, there's something in the clouds and it's just the McDonald's sign. Yes. That was well done. But it didn't sit and fit with anything else in the movie. Like, um, it, it just kind of was, it just, you know, it made me think of for a minute, I was thinking, is this going to be like Nope? I don't know if you've seen Nope yet, but Not yet. I, I strongly recommend it if you haven't. Um, speaking of things being in the clouds. Um, mm in that that was i guess jordan peele's film about spectacle and you can listen to him talk about that ad nauseum um mm. around the place and he's if you can listen to jordan peele do the guy's fascinating to listen to um but you know quite aside from his points being made about spectacle and that kind of thing in nope um it's actually pretty entertaining as well uh mm. and kind of makes a fairly effective monster film because it has a monster in it um, and the monster isn't just the family or society or Adam Driver's, you know, comb over. I mean, like, you know, it, it, I guess I was thoroughly, thoroughly, I wouldn't say I was disappointed because I didn't know what I was getting when I watched this. I thought, hmm. great cast, interesting director. This could be worth watching. But in the end, I got an artsy fartsy 80s film that went for way too long. And Two hours, fifteen minutes. minutes. Oh. It was boring as fuck. Like I hated this movie. I this is one of the worst it. films. I, I haven't seen a film this bad. It had such potential for, such, yeah. for a very long time. You see a film like Death Machine, which I keep coming back to. It's a pile of shit. But they didn't have much to work with. Let, let now let's talk a little bit about the talent on the screen here because. It seems like there is a rule developing with Adam Driver. And that is, he is good when he's downtrodden, when he plays downtrodden, whether that's just naturally like, like when, when, when Harrison Ford is good, when he's essentially just playing Harrison Ford or Sean Connery is good when he just is able to turn any character into Sean Connery. Um, Adam Driver is much better in these sorts of things. Like we talked last week or just before Christmas um, about his sci-fi movie that's coming out later with the dinosaurs. Anytime Adam Driver goes near a high-profile blockbuster movie, it just looks bad. 
And at least here, you can see that he's actually making cognitive actor decisions. And they are interesting, like the sequence between him and Don Cheadle almost sparring when they're talking about Hitler and Elvis and the way that that was shot. It was really interesting. It was, it was all it over. It didn't make any sense. No, it didn't make any sense at all. But it was interesting. And Don Cheadle, as, as a performer in this, he makes really interesting choices. And Greta Gerwig makes really interesting choices about her character as well. But none of it manages to connect, which is the biggest fault of the movie. Maybe that's the message. Doesn't matter how good you are. You're not going to connect with anyone. So you're alone in this universe. Uh, well, that, that's a possibility. Anything's possible <laughs> in terms of, of just saying this um, obtuse. Um, yeah. And I guess that's the problem with direct, with, with, um, you know, apparently being very faithful to the novel mm. being postmodern. And I mean, I am not a fan of things postmodern as a rule. I mean, you know, mm. um, it makes sense because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, um, and I'm sure it's deeper than that. And, you know, if anybody bothered listening to the show, we'd probably get letters uh, explaining to me <laughs> what, what postmodernism really is and how I've misunderstood it. Um, uh, but this is the second film in a row i've seen on well, second in a row but second of some recent fil films i've seen that haven't driver in it that have an interesting premise which they take a giant dump on and just throw away the other one being mm. the dead don't die but jim jarmusch um zombie movie from a few years ago oh yeah which he was in um he makes some interesting choices obviously marriage story really landed for him so mm -hmm. um you know good for him uh, uh in the end he became the best thing about the um star wars sequels um not that there was a great deal of competition involved um he was fantastic in the last duel uh i think he's actually a fantastic actor adam driver but uh and i think that's what is best he can with the material here but as you say yeah. it's not necessarily the problem of where they're playing the characters i'm sure they're playing them how they were told and how they were mm. written he and greta Gwig is a sensational actor by the way i'm a big fan mm -hmm. of greta's and i think yeah. she's a better director than she's an actor yeah. personally so that's great goes very well for what she's going to do with barbie but she's finding this and her perm is spectacular in this um it's on point it's on point see the film looks fantastic the set yeah. design uh the art design art direction is really it looks really like yeah it feels like the 80s they've really nailed the, the vibe um but if they were told to play it like you know um inconsiderate uh disrespectful non-attentive motor mouse then Good job. They got it right. That's <laughs> uh, it. Greta's fantastic. I think she's great in this. I think Don Fiedel is bizarre, but fun in this as yeah. he can be. I think I'm more interested. My interest level perked up a little bit when Don Fiedel popped up on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, he's a magnetic actor. I think he's he's great to watch. Mm -hmm. But yep. I, I'm going to go back to my, this film makes no sense. If you love artsy-fartsy creative, artsy-fartsy crap, the Noah Baumbach made with Matt makes with Paul Thomas Anderson. Then you're going to is that the right Anderson? Did they get that right? Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Sorry, my bad. Anderson. Um, the, the life aquatic, you know, a yeah. fantastic Mr. Fox, a squid and a whale, that kind of crap. I'm sorry, I'm not. They're not. They're not my favorite films of all time. Wes Anderson is not like I feel like he makes films that you know you, you they look fantastic and you know they feel mm -hmm. like they're very substantial but in the end have no nutritional value at, at all. Mm. Um, if you like those kind of things and you're probably going to dig this and you know, it's on Netflix. So 
if you've got a Netflix subscription, check it out, I suppose. But my suggestion would be if you like films with stories, um, then this <laughs> is not one. Do you remember a few years ago, David O. Russell? should kill! David O. Russell came out and said, I think it was after um, it's an American Hustle. Or one yes. Hustle, and he said, I'm not interested in story. I'm interested in character. I got me paraphrasing there, but it was something like that. Yeah. And I, and I, said, I don't think you make a film with one, but not the other personally yeah i think this is a this is a filmmaker who's interested in characters not the story and the story for me just wasn't there it made no sense it was way too long and i was there were so many interesting elements that they could have spun off an interesting story of a dysfunctional family running for their lives following um following a, a cataclysm um or if they had wanted to put it into go into sci-fi or, or horror because there are elements where it is genuinely you you see something visual on screen you suddenly go oh you, i'm really interested what what well is this where the movie turns is this where it reveals itself like the sequence where um adam wakes up um in bed and there's just the figure that kind of just walks suspiciously through to the bathroom and walks back and stuff it's like that's creepy and the like the face through the through the blanket and stuff is it looks fucking scary it's like yeah that would scare me but it never truly leads anywhere or pays off anywhere the the aforementioned lights in the clouds and it being revealed as mcdonald's that whole sequence the abandoned gas station it's really interesting and there is that sense of they're starting to build at that point that sense of don't get out of the car. You're going to get infected in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how yet, but that happens. And then it's all like, ah, whatever. Every time um, Noah and the, the cast and the story come together in these little moments that just tease something, it hurts twice as much because it never gets paid off or it never gets revealed or completed what did you make of a conclusion um i kind of strangely liked the conversation they had with the nuns about religion and god and the afterlife and stuff and that did kind of tie in with the the theme of both greta and adam's characters being phobically scared of death um and just the illusion of we don't talk about that here shut the fuck up you want to deal with that it's here for you if you want it otherwise we don't give a damn it was a nice balm in a way to the just the the verbal diarrhea that every single character had throughout the whole thing because it was the first time in the whole movie where it's like you know what she's got a point and she's saying it succinctly, even if she's cutting from English to German, I don't care. She's making a good point. <laughs> um, beyond that, why a musical number at the end or, or a dance routine? And, and oh. again, I feel like it was a little bit of a troll because we've been trained by Marvel movies now to sit to the end of the movie when there's something on screen because there'll be a zinger or something. And I was kind of hoping that there would be a last minute punch of, 
even even oh it was all a fucking dream kind of thing or it cuts to adam driver's character being in a hospital bed and he's fucking dying of radiation poisoning and it was just that fucking fever dream like okay cool you threw that grenade in really last minute but okay but no it was just a song i believe that is a song by lcd sound system Mm -hmm. who are i told or were a very popular group um now i could trip over them on the street and i wouldn't know who they were um you could put a million dollars on the table in front of me and say name one song and it's yours and i would be out of luck i would walk out of there just as broke as i am now because uh, <laughs> i don't know fucking anything about this band at all and that's not to say they're bad maybe they're great but yep. that's not really my genre of music and maybe slightly <laughs> after my time when i listened to music uh but wasn't 25 years old which is unfortunately something i'm cursed to do now um so I, i'm not familiar with them and then apparently they broke up and reformed specifically or they reformed we were specifically a single since they have reformed as a band and oh. honestly i don't know if it was a creative decision to go i think the film would be great to troll the audience with a dance number at the end or it was just hey we've got a song by lcd sound system and that's a big deal so let's yeah. have the uh, let's make a music video and tack it on to the end of the film um, yeah you'd have to think it's the first not the second i mean yeah um, it would be a very strange choice to do the second but it it almost like if you really enjoy uh lcd sound system that's probably a bigger deal for you than i don't know who they are so and i thought the song sucked so i mean may, maybe it's the reverse of what james gunn did with the peacemaker opening sequence of the dance routine and do you really want to um, playing he his idea was i want to make a an intro that you don't want to skip and i didn't because it's a good song and it's fun um engagement with the characters but at the same time it's also about 45 seconds long versus a long fucking song that is not exactly the most sort of like oh yeah upbeat boom 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 it's uh that's a good point um i i do you really give a shit if people hang around during the credits? Do yeah. we, we put after credit scenes in every film? Yeah. Uh, needless to say, I hated this. I hate this a lot. Like mm -hmm. seriously, I could have paid nothing for this, which I almost sort of did, and I still feel ripped off because about two hours of my life I'm not getting back. Mm -hmm. This sucked. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, it had very little redeeming quality for me. Yeah totally agree i um whilst there are really enjoyable elements to it you can say exactly the same thing about the worst cooked cake in the world it's like ah oh, well sugar i like and chocolate i like you've made a, a fucking turd but the base ingredients that you used at some point i enjoyed but hey look Not you right made now. a delicious cake but it's got arsenic in it so i'm just gonna have to say no you know yes. um yeah that's kind Sorry. of where we're at if you look oh i'm allergic <laughs> you don't have to go in for this one this is a very much an acquired taste if you like his yeah. other stuff you're probably gonna like this uh mm. if you go in expecting a fun if you expect laughs expect horrors mm -hmm. I, I can't think of a group of people I've not really any drama 
No, not really any action. It's just a really weird fucking long movie. Yeah. Shall we move on? Should we move on? Yes. Should we talk about Tar? Tar. From the ridiculous to the sublime. And interesting you're talking about some funny shit with credits. This film also does some very funny shit. It confused the living shit out of me the first time I watched this. Is that they run the end credits at the start of a film. Um, yeah. So there's a good five minutes of credits before the film starts. And I'm like, what's going on? Is my copy all fucked up? Uh, no, it's just what they did. <laughs> Um, you have so, to watch it with a mirror. Ah, set in the world of in, the international world of Western classical music, the film centers on Lydia Tarr, widely considered one of the greatest living com- composer, conductors, and the very first female director of a German, major German orchestra. This mm. is written and directed by Todd Field, probably not a name that everyone's going to be familiar with, and word probably this was in. I would have said in the bedroom, which I think was nominated for. A, an Academy Award, um, but little mm. children uh, in the bedroom, both directorial efforts. And to, you link back to the show, which I know is the most important really? thing to do here. So yeah. He played the pianist, the Nick Nightingale, in uh, one of our non-Christmas Christmas movies we looked at, uh, yeah. I White Shark. Yeah. Um, and, and interesting, he's an interesting fellow. I read some stories about him, but apparently uh, he became friends with Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise helped coach him through how to deal with Harvey Weinstein. When he was uh, trying to get his film in the bedroom released, and Harvey Weinstein wanted to get in the edit room and fuck it all up, uh, and Tom Cruise yeah. sort of had some suggestions about how to deal with that. Um, so, good guy Tom. You don't hear good stories about him very often. Yeah. Uh, it stars uh, our our big star here is uh, Kate Blanchett, the Australian mm-hmm. actor. Um, I only other names you're going to really, I think, recognise is Mark Strong. Uh, playing mm-hmm. Alec Kaplan, uh, uh, Alec Baldwin has a cameo. Otherwise, we've got uh, a few other names here. Maybe they're big in Europe. I don't know. I did not have heard of Naomi Merlant, Nina Hans, or Sophie Cower. But um, this is the Kate Blanchett show, really. A thousand percent. Uh, and there's a reason why she's won everything so far for this performance. And. Mm-hmm. Um, is the red hot favorite to take home the uh, best actress uh, nominated uh, Oscar for this film as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is incredible in this film. Mm-hmm. So the film opens with her being interviewed by the New Yorker by apparently an actual New Yorker journalist. And this is actually a really interesting way of introducing us to the character and doing a lot of exposition in you know, five, ten minutes, but it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like exposition. It's like, like hey, Lydia Tarr, wait, tell us about your career and why you're famous. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it's, <laughs> it's a little awkward conversational style. Like, I've been watching The Last of Us, um, which we're hopefully going to talk about uh, in a future show once George mm. decides if he wants to watch it or not. Um, but it feels a lot like a video game because all the exposition in The Last of Us is done while they're walking down corridors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michelle's like, the load like screens. A, yes, loading screens. It's basically how it's like, this is how they do exposition in video games. So, well, it's based on the game. So, why wouldn't you do it in, in, in the TV show? Um, <laughs> but this is a, the way that Tar does it in its interview format is really fascinating. And it, and it actually adds to what I think is one of the film's great strengths. Is, you walk away in this film and you have to get Google out and actually figure out 
is Lydia Tarr a real person? Because that's how fucking convincing she is, and Kate Blanchett, that is, and how mm-hmm. convincing the film is. You're like, is this about a real person? Mm. Um, it almost feels documentary style, at least in the first mm. half of the film. So we meet her. She's this incredibly accomplished composer. He's done everything in the world of classical music, which, you know, most people will not be familiar with what those things are. But we take it from the interview that she's very famous. Mm-hmm. We cut to her having lunch with Mark Strong, who is a bit sycophantic towards her uh, and her upcoming performance to do Marla's Fifth. Then I think we move into one of the more interesting parts of the film where she actually teaches a class at, mm. um, at uh, Juilliard and has a massive confrontation with one of the students who's not into um, listening to Bach because he's a cis white composer with a, and he didn't live, you know, a particularly yeah. great life, uh, you know. Um, and the kid who plays the, uh, the the student in it is brilliant, one of these, you know, Gen Z kids who, you know, like, well, if they don't meet my standards of today, it was 400-year-old person lived a completely different set of standards and, they should be ignored and you know um he's fucking frustrating as all hell he also, yeah. i don't think you found this and you're watching he also speaks very very quietly it was annoyingly like, so speak the fuck up kid I, I i literally had to put the subtitles on to figure out what the hell was going on in with some of the things he said um but that's i here you go in one direction you're like you think this is going to be about cancel culture and it kind of is but not yeah. the way you expect. We no. see Lydia move back to Berlin to be with her wife and her child um, and uh, to, uh, to direct the Berlin Philharmonic. I think it's the Philharmonic. Or I don't know. Yeah. The orchestra. Which is uh, an incredibly high um, accolade, shall we say, for this community. It's the first time they've ever had a female conductor in that position and um like multiple times the the idea of it is brought up as like it's it's the 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 laurels that you can the highest award that you can be bestowed in the and industry. she's going to be the first director oh, sorry but well, what they, conductor, um, conductor. To, to complete the entire sequence of marla's symphonies with the same orchestra mm. that's a really fucking big deal apparently yeah um so we meet her wife, we start to learn what's going on in their life. And then there's some interesting cuts into the film where we see Lydia being filmed by somebody else with mm. their mobile phone. And they're almost on a, a FaceTime call and it's like comments mm. popping up on top of a, a call. And then we start to see some pretty sketchy business coming up about a former, a former protege of yeah. Lydia's who she doesn't seem very interested in hearing from anymore, but you know, is very interested in speaking to Lydia and then very unfortunate some very unfortunate things happened to this 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 protege i'm trying to leave a bit of mystery here because yeah leave it a this mystery. is a film everybody should see now interestingly white noise was two hours 16 minutes this is two hours 38 and you know i know i've said it a million times but chalk and cheese here right like two hours and 38 here it was like over boom uh whereas you know white noise it was like pulling teeth um i want i just wanted more of this um I'm trying to be mysterious here and sort of be the, 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 the so borrow a word from a very wise man. The new denouement is is delicious. Um, <laughs> I try and increase the intelligence of the show one time. <laughs> the, 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 the 
the final part of the play, film one narrative, which is strands with plotted drawn together. And the matters are explained to result. We try to raise the tone here. Um, and it's, but I loved the denouement of this film because it didn't just end at a certain point, whereas the, the central drama, which all comes to a head towards the end of the film and resolves what's going to happen with Lydia. But Lydia's mm. story keeps going. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of very interesting ways one can interpret what happened at the end of his film. Mm. So maybe, what do you think? Should we go a little spoiler town on this one for a few minutes? And let's let's chuck the spoilers up for the next uh, five uh, five five or so minutes, just to um, just to give people an opportunity. Considering this is going to be one of the the heavy Oscar runner movies, people do like to watch those. We don't want to spoil that. We don't want to take that away from you for. for so come back in at about a minute, an hour ten, and you'll be back on board. Yeah, you've been warned. So no, um, for those who have stuck around, the denouement, the, the central uh, thesis, the central crisis of a film, is that uh, Lydia has been having affairs essentially with her students. She has been um, exploiting her position of power and influence mm -hmm. over younger students who want an opportunity to play with her orchestras um, mm -hmm. to engage in sexual relations with him in a not entirely dissimilar way to what we've seen with the likes of Harvey Weinstein um, mm -hmm. or, you know, um, John Lasseter got into some trouble, I think, along the same sorts mm -hmm. of lines. Uh, any number of assholes who's been me to speaking of yeah. me too, let's not even mention Justin Roiland. Um, uh, we'll, we'll have a conversation about that afterwards. We're talking uh, about anyway, tar and spoilers. Um, uh, and this comes to light through the death mm. of one particular student who commits suicide. Uh, and that leads to it coming out about um, what she's been up to. Uh, mm. Her wife finds out about it and it's a big scandal in the United States. And it leads to her basically being removed from her role at the head mm. of the orchestra. The scene where mm -hmm. he, the, the orchestra actually ends up playing the fifth with a different conductor, and uh, and Lydia physically tackling him off the podium was amazing. Um, but yeah. what I mean, what, but that was all fascinating and really well done. But what I enjoyed about this was her then continued, the continuing back to her childhood home, mm. where you know she sort of discovers some of her old videotapes. And then on from that into working in Southeast Asia. I mm. think it's supposed to be the Philippines, maybe. I think so, yeah. Uh, um, and then the final scene of her conducting uh, another orchestra, but this time we cut away from the orchestra playing the music to find the audience is composed entirely of people in, I think, Monster Hunter cosplays. Yes. Uh, and then you sort of put the pieces together is she's conducting an orchestra who are playing the score for a video game. Mm -hmm. um, what did you make of that whole ending? Um, I liked the fact that the um, the story didn't just end. I liked the fact that the story continued. I liked... Um, I liked the way that it was kind of it no i you know what i didn't like the end for one for one simple reason is um it was a low blow for 
cosplayers <laughs> and um because it just feels like so like oh she can't get any work except in this area and so like yes she that is deserved of people who take advantage of their position and um are monsters because let, let's face it in many 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 ways she was a fucking monster mm. and she deserved no good things um, i i feel like having it like that was a bit of an unnecessary knife in the back to a completely different um in, entity of entertainment um consumer than what we've got because everything that we've seen before has been almost like all the ca customer all, all the characters are were almost ripped from the menu as like they elite the highest of the highs and there's like oh yes we're just fantastic and then suddenly throwing her in with the everyday people the fact that she's being taken around on a tuk-tuk and she goes on a on a contiki tour and things like that and it's it's very very back to basics it's like, those look good I, I don't like that she's having a good time i i don't want to see her having a good time i i personally i feel like it would have been better if it had just been the the meeting that they have the with her agency and just like they're talking about collateral damage and kind of rebuilding the brand i kind of would have liked it if it just ended there you wanted a harder ending then yeah see i think it's a, a couple of i mean one of my thoughts about the ending was initially i think you take away is that you, this is the lowest of low this is her plumbing the depths mm. hence you could see it as a stab at um you know uh people who enjoy video games and cosplayers but i mean let's face it right i mean I'm, I'm, i don't know anything about who would be conducting orchestras in the philippines but it's not exactly the, the zenith of the industry uh or, or the classical music world um but initially you i think you're supposed to sort of well my initial takeaway was like uh this is all she can get mm. you know um you know, it, it's the, it's, that's what she, look at what she's been reduced to. Mm. Um, but uh, when I had to think about it, one could actually spin it in, in a more positive light, which you were kind of getting at there a little bit, which is we have that meeting with her, her agency and they're like, this, we need to start working on rebuilding the brand. And from there we cut to Southeast Asia where she is now working in a very different world or a different angle on the classical mm. music world um where you know we've got the very hoity-toity stuffy you know uh cold world we see mm. you know minimalist world of of, mm. the, of her working in berlin and these incredibly sparse and you know um spartan buildings of you know mm. polished concrete and you know, cold white you know to yeah. the warmness and crowded you know world of, of southeast asia and one could see that this would just be actually rather than being her this is what she's being reduced to the end is saying she's her first step back to the top because yeah. while the people hoity-toities in the classical music world may not think there's you really a lot to be done or isn't it, it's, it's looking down their nose at video game music but like you know it, how many people you know um people do go to concerts for this stuff right they have yeah. actual huge concerts for composers of music from these games and these people are huge names in their own right, just in a slightly different way than, you know, mm -hmm. your Marlers and your Brahms and your Bachs and your Mozarts, et cetera. So mm. I liked 
in a sense, I can see how you can get that point is that the ending mm. could be seen as somewhat optimistic for her future. Mm. Um, and does she deserve the opportunity to have that future? Mm. Probably not, but yeah. I liked we didn't get a cut and dried, simplistic, bad ending and, you know, mm. that's it. I like to get an ending where you can look at it a couple of different ways about exactly what the film's mm. trying to say, which is done. Mm. Or not done. Now, I'm going to take the... Um, I'm going to take the spoilers off just so because we did say that we would only talk for five or six minutes. Um, the other thing that I found challenging about this movie is the it's a compliment and a criticism of Kate Blanchett in this role. She is fucking terrifyingly good, and nobody is able to keep up with her. And a large portion of that, I think, is by design because uh, Lydia is just so f operating on such a different fucking level that people barely know how to communicate to her. It takes two women to work as a team to kind of keep up with her between um, Francesca and Sharon, her her wife, and her, um, uh, her personal assistant. And even then they are shown just with the little looks and expressions and tones that they feel like they're not keeping up. And this is entirely the Kate Blanchett show, which makes it hard to watch because it's like a little bit like what I said with Robin Williams character in awakenings where he is incredibly socially distanced and he doesn't know how to communicate and deal with other people. Whilst that is very quickly glossed over, in this, it is the laser-focused, spotlight thing that we are being driven on, which just makes it very hard. This is not a movie where you can just sit back and let it happen to you. You are, you are studying something so meticulous. This is a piece of clockwork organization and skill to to balance Mayer's, um, the extravagance of Mayer's comp compositions. And we are, we are seeing it through just one fucking person. It's really hard. <laughs> this is not a, not a... Um, but this is not a Friday night at the date movie kind of movie, I would say. Yeah. This is a film with this, demand. This is an analysis movie. Um, this film, I found it compelling. I found mm. it very interesting to watch and I needed to get to the end to find out what was exactly going on because it kind of plays out a little bit like a thriller um, yeah. later in the film in parts. Um, but you're right in a sense, this is probably not easy watching for a lot of mm. people. Um, and you do need to pay attention. Mm. Uh, the sound is kind of weird. Like I said earlier, not just that guy whispering earlier, but there are a few points where the sound's a bit iffy. Mm. Uh, that's how I found it. Um, I don't know if you're doing a Christopher Nolan here uh, or what, um, but uh, I think you're you're right in the sense you definitely want to be paying attention to what's going on mm. in this film, or you might miss something important. But mm. for me, that's why I go to the movies. That's why mm. I watch movies is because I mm. want that kind of complex, intricate storytelling. Mm. And and see, I, I love seeing a great performance, and most people do, I think. Mm. Um, and seeing Kate Blanchett in this film is 
one of the great film roles I think I've ever seen. Um, mm. I, I remember, I think I've seen a few. I thought to myself, Michelle Yao is a lock for best actor, best actress this year. Mm. I don't know. I don't mm. think, I don't think so now. It's a damn shame because she's incredible in everything, everywhere, all at once. I think the, the 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 thing that's going to tie it up between those two is accessibility. Everything everywhere all at once is more marketable than tar. And even just looking at it on a pure trailer's basis, the trailer for tar kind of sells it a little bit more as a a thriller than it necessarily is. And that that can put off an audience and the the highbrow content or the the world that lydia operates in classical music conductors why do i fucking care about that oh a woman works out how to be a fucking badass fighter and things one of those is just more palatable to the the average audience but well, fortunately the average audience aren't it. actually voting in this history academy mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you're right. Look, I mean, I've I've actor will be an incredibly deserving winner of the award. Like we mm. loved everything everywhere at once. And you know, look, Kate Wequan is a fucking lock. I'm certain he's a lock for best supporting actor. The guys, mm-hmm. the other guys here in there did some great work too. Mm-hmm. You know, but sorry, it's his. Um, yeah. I suggest it's getting best supporting actress as well. It's got Stephanie Sue and Jamie Lee Curtis. So I think it's Jamie Lee's getting it personally. Um, and look, I just, I don't think it'll get it. I think Spielberg's winning best director. I haven't seen the Fablemans yet, but everybody seems to think it's his for that. Whereas I think the Daniels, if the Daniels could get that, I think the Daniels are going to get best original screenplay because mm-hmm. that's the award they give to quirky, weird little films, but they don't yep. quite feel comfortable giving director or picture to just yet. The Tarantino yep. award. That's the one he had twice, you know what I mean? Um, they, they didn't want to give Pulp Fiction the best picture in 95. They gave it to Forrest Gump. So they mm-hmm. gave they gave Quentin a best um, original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think this is arguably the best performance I've ever seen from Kate Blanchett. She is incredible in this. Yeah. Um, I would, for, for anyone who kind of wants to get an idea of, this, of a simile, I would say the closest simile you're going to get is J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. Good call. Yeah, great call. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if she wins this, this will be her third Academy Award. Okay, she was one for, I think it was the Aviator. And, and the Aviator. One for Blue Jasmine. Uh, and this will be her third. That would equal Meryl Streep. Mm. So then you've got to come into the conversation is Kate Blanchett the greatest living actor going around today? And, and, Greater Minds of Mine will come up with an answer to that. But yeah. did you actually enjoy this? No. Would you recommend it? No. I don't know who beyond real cinephiles who want to experience something different, I don't know who would actively seek this out or who this would engage. Um, I like this movie, but I kind of feel like it's single bloody minded and that makes it a challenge to watch. And you said it right at the beginning, 
with the unusual credits and the end credits being at the beginning. I know people who would have, who would just go, where's the fucking movie? Fuck, fuck this. And, and bounce after the first five minutes. And they would be doing themselves a disservice because of the powerhouse performance. At the same time, there is no single like storyline going through except the slow twisting and twisting and twisting of the the character of Lydia just to watch her unravel. And there are many people who love that kind of thing, but I think they're all go- already going to be in- interested and invested in this movie. I don't know how I would sell this movie to someone else as a recommendation. Friend of the show, Patrick, he is purposefully stretching out and doing movies that he otherwise wouldn't do. He's, as he would say, he's a bit of a baby when it comes to horror movies, so he's been on a horror binge. This is probably not the type of movie that he would um, inherently enjoy, but if he wants to really stretch himself in a very different genre and style of cinema, this would be a great possibility but it's gonna it's gonna fight every every second of that two and a half hours. That's a good point. It's probably going to be a challenge for a lot of, as I said, casual goers. I would, mm. I can see your point. I mm. very much enjoyed this film, but I'm that mm. kind of person you were just talking about. The person who will seek out amazing yeah. performances. Um, I. Um, that said, though, I, I think more people should see films like this and less films like Avatar, Avatar. Way of the War, uh, which is somehow yeah. got a Best Picture nomination. Um, if it wins, it I'm going to be so pissed. It won't. It's a, it's, it's a charity. You made yeah. a lot of money and we like people well, coming no, back to the cinema again. We recognize your $2 billion. We're not going to talk about the fact that it cost you $2 billion as well. <sighs> uh, so, you know... Um, I think yeah. it's the kind of thing people should be seeing because I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think I said, I said the, the fact I had to actually stop and at the end of a film and go, is she a real person? Mm. Uh, I think speaks uh, volumes for the quality of um, uh, the quality of this film. And, and I, I think mm. it's a masterpiece. I thought it was extraordinary. Mm. I think it's got lots of different things about the, 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 the corruption of power um, mm. and the Me Too movement and how it can apply to both genders and what it looks like mm-hmm. for people on the inside. And uh, mm. I think there are questions in here about how do you separate the art from the artist? And we'll go into that in a second, I think. But um, I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, but I can see your yeah. point. But don't go into this expecting... Um, don't go into this expecting something that's going to be a, mm. you know, a popcorn movie because it absolutely mm. isn't going to be. This, this is something you need to invest your time and attention into. And if you do that, you will very much be rewarded. Yeah. Um, now, should we wanna, move on? Let's just talk. We're going to okay, We're going to quickly do um, binge bone, a binge <laughs> browse bone. Binge browse bone. Binge browse bone. So, have you got any um, any um, nominations for binge this month, this week? Um, I am going to go with the uh, the new film, uh, um, animated series mm-hmm. um, from Danny DeVito, which is available on um, Disney Plus okay. yet again. Little Demon. Okay. 
because that's where you go for demonic cartoons. You think of Disney. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, a new series um, starring himself and his daughter Lucy and Aubrey Plaza. After being impregnated by the devil, a reluctant mother and her antichrist daughter attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware. This is a lot of fun. This is a fantastic okay. little animated series about uh, uh, we have uh, Aubrey Plaza playing uh, Laura, uh, Lucy DeVito playing Chrissy, her daughter, and Danny DeVito playing Satan. Uh, for a hookup earlier between Laura and Satan, there comes Chrissy, the daughter of a, of a devil. She's just had her first period, which means the devil, despite that they've been running from a devil for her entire lives, the devil can now track her down and is now attempting to build a relationship with his daughter so that she can take over as the Prince of Darkness kind of thing. Um, and it is sensational. Absolutely okay. sensationally, hilariously funny. Um, really risque, really out there for Disney+. Plus. Like, this is not for children. Um, and it has uh, the best elements of Rick and Morty in the sense of anything can happen because it's animation and the fact that Laura is a witch of herself so you know mm -hmm. there's magic involved and she can um do whatever she needs to do to mm -hmm. um to uh you know uh, to try and protect her daughter or you know get out of whatever situation she's found herself in and it does um you know deal with the fairly standard issues you know growing up fitting into the new school it doesn't help when uh you eviscerate two school bullies to the point where they are literally pulp dripping off the toilet walls which is what she does in the first episode. Um, I'd like a quick shout out to the character of Darlene, voiced by Lennon Palm, who is constantly, who's the drunken neighbor of uh, Laura, who is constantly has a glass of Chardonnay in hand and is sort of very cheerfully getting involved in whatever schemes she's coming up with that particular week. I think this is a, the best new animated show I've seen in a very long time. Really, really digging it. Okay, okay. It kind of sounds a little bit like the uh, 2007 series Reaper, which was yeah, but it's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was always the problem with that show. <laughs> I remember Kevin, Kevin Smith was involved in that early, but it didn't yeah. get better. Yeah, so that's yeah, a definite yeah. binge for me. Okay, well, I've got a browse. That is season two of The Legend of Ox Machina. Is we had the first three episodes release on Prime Video um, after the first season came out um, about a year ago at this point. This one picks up where the first season left off um, with a um, the Chroma Conclave, a, a collection of chromatic dragons unusually working together to take down the capital city of Imon. And the heroes are very quickly flung on a journey to try and... Uh, gather allies and weaponry to defeat this mass evil. And um, the first series was very, very mixed bag of trying to be risque for risque's sake, a lot of dick jokes and sex jokes, vomit, and um, sort of like pushing the envelope attempts that mm, some of them worked, most of them didn't, versus marrying up people who, like myself, have been critters for a very, very long time. And this is a bit of a dream come true project of seeing it on the screen and introducing people to the idea of D&D. &D. Um, that one told sort of one of the more famous storylines of the first run of the podcast slash uh, Twitch show, uh, following the um, primarily focusing on Percy DeRowell's character and his relationship with the Briarwoods. 
this time, this story arc, it brings in a lot more opportunity to talk about each of the individual characters. So you will, and in the first three episodes, you do learn more about the twins, Vex and Vax. And you're starting to get little hints of some backstory for, uh, for Grog and a little bit of um, more than just the atypical bard of sex on legs, scam the short hold. Um, so they have learnt from their learnt their lessons from the first series. I feel so far, it is still missing on a few very key elements, and still trying to work out how to bridge the difference and the memory of the what happens in the crit uh, in the critical role universe versus the legend of Vox Machina. Um, they redesigned and retweaked some of the characters, so it's a little bit jarring sometimes particularly the characters of Kashar and Zara. For anyone who knows who they are, I won't go into details. This is a little nod. Um, but they it's shown solid improvement, which is good. The animation is still very, very good. And the voice work is, as you'd expect, from people who started off as voice actors who did um, role-playing and now doing voice, voice acting work. They should be pretty good at the characters that they created themselves. Um so that's a, yeah, a and browse on that one? That is definitely a browse, partly because it is a weekly released thing, but at the same time, I think that it's it's worth having a uh, dipping your toe in. I have a browse well. Ooh, My browse okay. is for White Lotus Season 2. Okay, okay. I have not seen Season 1, I should note, but I believe and have been told that this is the kind of show that does a new thing every year. Like, so what happened in season one doesn't directly impact season two. It's okay. a completely new storyline, which is an interesting mm. angle for a show. You don't get many shows like that anymore, which tell mm. a completely new story of a new cast of characters. Um, mm. This is set in a resort, a very fancy resort nearly, and follows the stories of a number of different groups of people who are staying in the hotel and characters who work at the hotel and around the area season episode one of the uh season opens with a series of bodies washing up on the beach outside the hotel uh okay. and then cuts back a few weeks earlier something uh where we meet the characters uh who are staying at the hotel um and this has been a huge success it's been written and directed by mike white you might know him he wrote school of rock um uh amongst other jack black projects he's orange country uh orange county great film um uh you know his face he's an actor as well mm. uh and it's got some big names popping up here f murray abraham stars in this season jennifer coolidge is making a huge big making a big uh a big a big uh, career step she's been very successful in her role in this um this season we've got uh, mm -hmm. Aubrey plaza popping up again uh mike imperioli the first thing i think i've seen him in in about 10 or 15 yeah. years maybe since the end of the sopranos it's great to see him come back up um and i don't really understand exactly what the fuss is about this show like people mm. lose their shit about how great it is this has a 7.8 this, this episode one the show as a whole has a fantastic rating on imdb of 7.9 um mm. people love it i don't get it <laughs> nothing happens it's a very slow burn between with what's happening. I've watched three episodes in this season, and I'm just like, I don't hate it. Like, mm. it's not 
boring per se, but it's like basically it's a soap opera with a big budget and a nice location. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are very slow moving plots with different groups of people who are doing different things. And but we're no closer to figuring out how all these bodies end up washing up on the beach after three episodes. Um, wow. And I'm a little okay. bit frustrated by it because there are only seven, I think, in this season. So um, halfway, you know, still no questions answered. Okay. And there's still nothing's been, you know, I think I can pick what's going to happen. I mean, there's a, you know, Orby Plaza and her husband are there and they're staying next door to his business partner, her wife. And, you know, the, the Aubrey Plaza's character it really hates his business partner who's staying next door, but you're never going to end up fucking, um, <laughs> you know, and it's like you're telegraphing that punch a mile away. But I'm not saying I'll never watch it again. I'm, I might come back to it and work for another couple episodes to see if I can, mm. you know, um, figure out why people love it so much. I'm just curious. So, like, if I keep mm. watching, maybe it'll start to make sense. But for now, it's a browse for me. Um, mm. You know, pick it up if you really like nice locations. I heard a rumor that season three will be shot here in Australia. Okay. Okay. It'll probably be doubling up as somewhere in America, but, you know, it's fine. It's very – I think the first season was somewhere else. The first season wasn't shot in Italy as well. I think it's like they shoot it – it's designed to be that the White Lotus is a chain of resorts around the world. So it could be a fancy resort in Queensland. Like, that's what I heard. Mm. All right. Okay. Don't have anything else that I've been really watching um, or really – able to talk about at this point so i'm gonna finish my conversations there unless you've got anything else i'm gonna come back next week season mm-hmm. episode three i think we i think probably i'm gonna have a slightly more detailed binge browse bone covering the last of us i really want to give it three episodes to really mm-hmm. be able to come back to you maybe i might take two minutes instead of one but um uh i I think people are interested to hear about that one. So mm-hmm. come back next week and you can get some thoughts on the first three episodes of that. And, uh, mm-hmm. Other than that, we have got a couple of minutes. Before. We've been doing pretty well with time, but I yes, would like are. just to get your your quick thoughts on Justin Royal's situation that came out today. He has parted away to Comedy Central. He will no longer be involved in voicing the characters of Rick and Morty. So the person who does the voices of Rick and Morty is exiting a show called Rick and Morty. I hmm. so so they're recasting Rick and Morty. Uh, that's what the Royd in the street is. They're going to recast. I guess there is the opportunity, considering of the multiversal comedy that they've had in the past. They can have. They can just. It's so self-referential that they can even just take the piss out of it. And so like, oh, your voice seems different. So like, yeah, well, so does yours. And just awkward silence and move on. They they could definitely do it. I don't know if it's going to su- continue to be the success that it generally has been. Both of us, um, we had some questions about the quality of the... Last, last season, season was good, though. Season six, I thought, was pretty good. Yeah, uh, but the season before, it had some very, very shaky legs. Very Interestingly, shaky legs. I believe Royland has been backed out of, has been uninvolved in the creative side of a show for, since about season four. So from that side of things... Interesting. What a rest. Um, but yeah. so, only few, yeah. like, I think the only thing... I think that what they do have, you said that multiversal comedy, they can nod and wink at the audience, but also go, oh, this is Rick and Morty from C124. And they mm. sound a little bit different. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm like, I'm like you, I just kind of wonder how, you know, you're going to be going in going, they don't sound yeah. the same. It's going to be a little bit different. And I don't know. I mean, yeah. I just don't know how that's going to work. I will give it a go. And considering everything, it, the stuff that's coming out about what he's been involved in, allegedly, mm-hmm. um, on Twitter and, you know, if you believe what you read on Twitter and the stuff he's been charged with, he has actually been charged with yeah. felony domestic violence in the United States and false imprisonment. Um, so if that turns out to be correct, mm-hmm. then, you know, and I, I would suspect maybe, you know, Comedy Central would know more about it than everybody else. Like, well, I mean, it's a good call on their behalf. I can't disagree yeah. with it. But and I can't also it works a lot of fucking money for them, so I can't see. I'm gonna, yeah. yeah, of course you're gonna keep trying to do it, but you know exactly. I can, I can fully understand every single step that they have taken in this regard. It's it would be like you know if George Lucas was suddenly revealed to be a pedophile, for example. It's like oh no, removal of all Star Wars stuff. They're like no, it's it's worth too much money. And he's not they directly involved. Maybe it'd be a bit like um. I don't know. Uh, what's the biggest thing on TV these days? Uh, you know, the Last of Us. Maybe. Uh, sorry, The Last of Us. Maybe. Oh yeah. Or maybe a Kevin Feige got revealed as being somebody who'd done some nasty shit. You know, like yeah. What do you do with your Marvel shit? Uh, you leave. You got to leave his name on it, I think. But you know. Yeah. But um, it's, I, 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 it's. I get it, and I think they're making the right choice on every level. Um, you know, it's not good to support in any way shape or form people who do such heinous things as what are being alleged for justin Rowlands. um so definitely not support that they they have to especially following the me too movement they it would be a massive even bigger problem for them if they said oh no we're going to support the creators that would, that would just be the perfectly worst thing for them to do so divorcing I well, my the only thing that I can talk about is my curiosity of how the product of Rick and Morty will continue, and you know he has been so damn busy with uh, so much other stuff. It makes sense what you say about him not really being involved in the show's creation for a few seasons because he's been doing video game and. I just downloaded the stuff. video game the other day. I was going to looking forward to playing it, and now I'm like, oh, I don't know oh, if I can. <laughs> it, it's like um i every now and then we get people trade in games and uh there was call of duty um infinite warfare i think it was or advanced warfare that one's got kevin spacey in it it's like mm, oh boy i can give you half a pack of twisties for this mate yeah it's like um I'm, his, his face is right on the back cover but just nah <laughs> Well, that's, that's yeah. I think, I, I mean, that's we'll wait show. Show, but that yeah. was a little piece of gossip for today. Have you got anything else or should we let people, we get, you might get in under an hour 40. Um, no, I've got nothing that's uh, on my mind right now. Um, so let's, let's get it at the 140. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this week on Armchair Producers. You have seen the sunset behind me. We have been talking about our chain movie of the week, Awakenings, following on from last week's Beat Street Care of Mary Alice. Uh, We talked about White Noise on Netflix, 
Tar, which is currently doing the circuits for fantastic applause for Kate Blanchett's performance in that one. We had our now regular spot, Earth Binge Browse Bone, and we talked a little bit about the Justin Rowland's mm, fuck up, should we say. <laughs> um, but next week, we are going to be talking about After Hours. After Hours, the Martin Scorsese directed movie. Um, and uh, Travis gonna, and I, we, we might even, George has teed up one for me. I'm going to try and get around to watching Devotion this week, which is on Netflix. Mm. Jonathan Major's yes. fighter pilot film. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we're going to try and organize for you to see the Banshees of Inishirin this this week. Yes. Uh, yes. And then so that, that will be hopefully what we have to present for you next week. Yeah. And if anything else uh, comes up uh, of monumental importance, of course, we will talk about it as soon as we can. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, at The Fried Brain, at Evil Trav, twitch.tv slash The Fried Brain. No, twitch.tv slash Armchair Producers. That one. Yes, that's the one. Um <laughs> And if you have recommendations for movies for us to watch, please let us know in any of the comments on any of those platforms. We do read them, we do listen, and we only block people who say, hey, do you want more subscribers? We are very happy with our Russian bots. Thank you very much. And government officials who check to see whether or not we should be on some kind of watch list. (laughs) And the answer to that is yes. Definitely. We are fantastic white noise. Ooh, tying it together again. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Good night. Good night.